open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at one of the more thought-provoking passages of Scripture. John, chapter 8. Continuing in our series, What I Learned From... A fallen woman. So you know the story. We're going to look and see what this woman that's caught in adultery, worthy of death by the Old Testament law, what she would say to us if she were here today. It is a season for graduates and we're going to try to recognize the graduates that will be here next Sunday. So I'll get the word to them. So hopefully they'll be able to make it. And supposedly we'll have air conditioning next week and our new video projection system will be in place so it's going to be a big day so come bring friends enjoy the air conditioner used to churches were big into Sunday night services you know that it's kind of a passing thing now but the reason Sunday night services started a century ago was because churches were one of the first buildings in a town that had a light bulb and so people would come on Sunday night to see the light bulb. And that started a tradition. You probably didn't know that. Kind of interesting, isn't it? God uses a mundane stuff to start good things. John chapter 8, as always, we begin with prayer. The same things that we mention every week are always here. People who struggle. The war in Ukraine. Our struggling culture. So we pray. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at this story today. Would you join with me please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you that we, when, whenever we gather, that you are with us. When we are alone, you are with us. No matter the situation, you are with us, Father. Thank you. We thank you for your indwelling spirit, for the teachings of your word, for your body, the church, that encourages us and, and gives us a feel for the Christian life. Thank you, Father, for caring for us as you have. We thank you for this great nation, for our earthly blessings, for the peace and safety that we enjoy, and for the faith that gives us hope. Thank you, Father. We pray this morning that you would be with those who struggle, not only those in our own community, in our own congregation, but around the world. The most obvious one, of course, are those in Ukraine. We pray, Father, for peace, that they would be able to negotiate an end to the wars. We pray for those other peoples around the world that are in similar situations. Help us, Father, to rise above our nature. We pray that those that are in power would be, become peacemakers. That people would hear the need for peace. We pray for our soldiers 
their families, our first responders and their families. Comfort them in their losses. Give them hope. And use them, Father, to use your work. We pray this morning you would help us to be people that would stand up and be counted for our faith. Not with strident screaming, but with gracious love and compassion. Help us to be counted for Jesus by loving people, by sharing the gospel, by doing what we can to help. Father, again, we thank you for all good things. We ask for mercy for our sin. We ask for the cleansing that only you can give. And as always, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things about Jesus was he was so loved by the common folk. The elites, not so much, but the common people loved Jesus. He seemed to be fair-minded. And for those in leadership positions, sometimes being fair-minded is hard. You remember this story, only John tells it. Jesus was teaching in the temple. And an angry mob brought a woman and threw her on the ground in front of him. And said she was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says let's kill her. And the law did teach that. And so they wanted Jesus to take part. This was a trick. Now the law did teach that a couple caught in adultery would be put to death. That was a harsh teacher on the value of the sanctity of marriage. That's what that was all about. But the crowd wasn't concerned about the teachings of the law. The law called for both the man and the woman to be brought together and stoned to death. But the man wasn't there. They didn't value the law that much. Jesus knew these people. He knew they really weren't serious about the law. And he knew why the man wasn't there. The man was their friend. They just wanted to pick on Jesus. Because they put him in a bad spot. For Jesus, it seemed to be a hard decision. It wasn't for him, but it seemed to be a pretty difficult trap. If Jesus was affirming the crowd who would kill the woman, he would be saying to the crowd that these men, crooked as they are, are the good guys. They weren't the good guys, and Jesus knew it. Jesus didn't want to be associated with those who would use the law and religion for their purposes. But if he stood against them, he would look soft on crime because the law did call for adulterers to be put to death. So Jesus, strangely enough, squatted down and wrote something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. When I was in preacher school, we fussed over what Jesus wrote. Some people said, well, he wrote scripture. Other people said that he drew the picture of the fish, the Christian symbol. Some people said he did nothing other than doodle just to kill time. I don't know what Jesus did. I don't have any particular word there. And then he stood up, and I'll use common words here. This is what he said. All right, we'll kill her. Those of you that haven't ever sinned can throw the first stone. You get started. And Jesus looked the crowd over. Well, you know what happened, don't you? The crowd, one by one, looked around, and everybody there was guilty. Everybody. Everybody had sinned. Everybody was worthy of death. And so, one by one, the crowd dissipated. Eventually, only Jesus and his followers and the onlookers were there, and the angry mob was gone. And Jesus said to the woman, well, does no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. He goes, well, I don't either. 
Go on about your business and don't sin anymore. It's a pretty amazing story when you think about it. It challenges us to think about the way we think about religious instruction. It changes and challenges us in the way we talk to sinners, the way we talk about sinners, the way we understand who sinners are. And there's a big lesson on humility there, isn't there? So on screen today, we're going to talk about some of those things, that what we can learn from a fallen woman. So first of all, we're going to see, if the woman were here, I think she would say something like this, Jesus gave me a second chance. I could have you raise your hand if you've ever sinned, but that would be silly, wouldn't it? We're all sinners here, all saved by the grace of God. If there is any good within us, it's because of the Holy Spirit's influence. So says Scripture. So we were part of the crowd that day. Follow along with me, if you would, in John 8, verses 7 through 11. John 8, beginning at verse 7. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she had been in the midst. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. So like I said, the Old Testament did call for the stoning of people caught in adultery. Like I said earlier, and we need to remember this, the Old Testament seems harsh, cruel by our standards of the day. But they came at a time where women were thrown around like trash. And this idea of getting rid of the practice of adultery was a means of protecting family and protecting women. It was harsh and it was cruel by our standards. But God had to go overboard almost to get through people's skulls. You've got to remember, by the time the law was given, people had been around for a long time. And men were fully versed in the ways to abuse women and use them for their own purposes. And women ended up in terrible situations for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes the woman joined in and she was conscious of her sin. But a lot of times she was a, a, a victim. There are a lot of things that go into an adulterous situation. We just have to remember that. So God was teaching this marriage relationship. We have to protect it. So that's the background and setting. Fast forward to Jesus' day. They knew this. And they continued to practice it. It wasn't necessarily that Jesus thought it was a good thing now. I think they had learned their lesson or at least they knew about it. But it was the way things were. Jesus didn't necessarily discount the law. But the woman was a miserable situation. We don't know any details about her or her partner. Don't really need to. She was caught in the adulterous act. Like I said, this was a trap. People didn't really care about the law. Jesus was not dealing with the best and the brightest. Jesus was dealing with people who were in control. As you know, the fact that someone has power and money doesn't mean they're good people. It doesn't mean they have good motives. It doesn't mean that they're religious leaders, that their hearts are in the right place. Jesus knew that their hearts weren't in the right place. It was a trap. The woman was just a tool, a prop. They didn't care whether she lived or died. If Jesus would have said, kill her, they'd have been fine with that. 
and they would have gotten their job done. Remember, their job was to discredit Jesus. They didn't care about the woman. They just hated Jesus. One of the things that we must always be careful of, and this woman would, would probably second it, and that is the idea that we have to be careful about the way we use religious faith. Do we manipulate people with religious faith and conviction? Do we use our convictions to squeeze people to go, go the way we want them to? Do we use religion to force people to live like we think they should? Do we use religion to gain power for ourselves? You see, the leadership was guilty of all of that. The group that brought the woman in, it looked like they were doing the right thing. They were following the letter of the law, sort of, except for the man thing. But their hearts weren't right, and Jesus knew that. Jesus was one of those guys that had to walk a fine line. If he offended the wrong people at the wrong time, he could have been killed before it was time. Jesus had things to do. And so Jesus had to be strategic in how he offended people and those kinds of things. He did not want to be seen as one who rejected law because the law was something that God had given. Jesus was there to fulfill the law and he knew that. He was Messiah and he knew that. But no one else understood that at the time. At the same time, Jesus was a softy. Jesus loved people. His first response to the sinner was to love the sinner. Isn't it amazing how we're so different? Again, don't raise your hands, but how many times do we see a sinner, someone who's messed up their life, and our first emotional response is anger or disgust? It's easy, isn't it? It comes pretty naturally. It seemed like the better we get in terms of getting our lives under control and getting the grosser sins out of our life, it seemed like the better we get at that, the more hypersensitive we get with those who haven't got their act together yet. In my large family, I'm not going to tell you which side of my family, but in my large family, there are people who haven't gotten their lives together. And I've got to be real careful not to get disgusted with them. They're just sinners. And yes, they do dumb things. And yes, they do sinful things. And yes, their lives are worse because of that. And so it's easy for me, the righteous preacher, to get disgusted with them and be angry. So I have to check myself. And when I know I'm going to be around these people, I have to say, okay, God, help me to be gracious because it goes against the grain. Something about us, when we get our lives together, allows us to feel better than other people. And we must always resist that. Isn't it interesting that in the crowd, the big crowd that was there in the temple, that the only one who felt compassion on the sinner was the one without sin. That's something to think about, isn't it? We say we want to be like Jesus. We might want to ask ourselves, do we really? Jesus loves those people. And those people are, well, you know, whoever they are. They don't have their lives together. The woman's life was a train wreck. In an adulterous situation in first century Jerusalem. What a mess. She might have been a prostitute. Maybe not. Didn't matter. She was a sinner. And Jesus was gracious to her. There's a real possibility that no man had ever been gracious to this woman. You know, and you know this. There are women out there that have never been treated well by a man. 
There are men out there that have never treated a woman graciously. There's a real possibility that the woman was just, just doing what she did to survive. Maybe a prostitute, maybe, maybe this was a fling. Again, we just don't know. I joked one time with one of my preacher friends that someday I wanted to write a book about the psychology of sin. And I heard the words go out of my mouth. And he said, well, what do you mean, Kevin? And I thought about that conversation often. You know, when I see people who make choices to sin, they seldom think, I'm going to reject God's leadership today. They don't think that way. Instead, it's, this will be fun. This will make me look good. This will make me money. This is all I know what to do. You know, and, and to be honest with you, the more I'm around people, the more I realize that they're really not thinking. They're just doing. Maybe this woman was just doing what came naturally to her. And Jesus saw this, and so instead of looking at a tainted woman in disgust, he saw what could have been. I said earlier that the woman would say, Jesus gave me a second chance. On screen is how this fleshes out. He treated the woman with grace. This is where Jesus challenges us the most because he was truly gracious and kind. He wasn't just putting on airs because people knew he was a good person. You know, we do that. Instead, Jesus truly cared for this woman. And so he did what he knew. Now, he didn't argue with the crowd because he knew that wouldn't work. So Jesus was clever here. He used his brains. He thought through this. And you can almost see the gears turning in Jesus' head as he stood. And maybe that's what he was doing when he squatted and wrote in the dirt. Maybe he was thinking, how can I do this? How can I work this out? We don't know. But the end result was Jesus did something that we remember. It's pretty significant that you won't find this story anywhere else in the Bible. It almost didn't make it into the Bible. You may not realize that. You know, scholars had to get together and fuss about what would be in the Bible or not. And it took them several hundred years to agree this story was too much many scholars suggested. It didn't show enough respect for the law. It showed Jesus as being careless about righteousness and those kinds of things. And I used to think, yeah, I can go with that. But I think it's a pretty important story, don't you? Because it shows us that the truly righteous people are gracious and kind. And by the way, that is what Jesus taught in other places, isn't it? Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, all that other stuff falls into place. So Jesus taught this woman about grace. Not because he taught her anything, but because he treated her with grace. I've always wondered how to talk about Jesus with people. And I think I've stumbled onto a secret that Jesus is trying to do here. You do not have to necessarily say the right thing. If you love people and you're gracious to them in their worst moments, they'll get it. They may not understand everything and maybe you'll earn credibility and someday get to put it in words. We have to be careful. Sometimes we're nice but we never say it into the words. We've got to be careful that we don't use grace as an excuse to not talk about Jesus. It's a both and, not an either or. But Jesus is the lead here. Treat people with grace. And then the other part of the second chance is 
He gave her another chance at life. All Jesus had to do was say, go ahead and stop there. And they would have killed the woman. And they'd have been happy to do that. And it's just one more story out of history. By the way, they still do this in third world countries. Stoning someone for their sin is common in human history. The reason they used stones was because that's what they had. Horrible way to die. Jesus was gracious. Jesus shows us how to treat people who've fallen into sin. Now, they're still guilty sinners, yes. But sometimes we need to learn to look past that. Maybe not ignore it, but be careful how we treat people. Like I said, it is easy to be judgmental. You know, my window to the world is, of course, uh, greeting families at childcare every morning. I'll be honest with you, there's some pretty despicable adults come through the doors. A lot of them are good folk. Some of them aren't. They're not very good parents. They're not kind to their kids and uh, things like that, you know. And, and I've got to be real careful not to get disgusted with them. And I often repeat to myself, image of God. Image of God. Because they are created in the image of God. Are they sinners? Yes. Are their personal lives a train wreck? Oh yeah. I could tell you stories, but you've already heard the kinds of stories I'm talking about. So what we have to do is somehow treat them with grace and kindness, offer help when it is needed. So I end up helping people that I don't like because I don't like the way they are. But sometimes I help them anyway just because they need help. Ultimately, it helps their kids. And we do that. When you give money to the church and it's given through the benevolent fund, I'll have these long discussions with Rose about should I help these people. And we're softies. We end up helping people that probably don't deserve it. And yet... We're hoping that if we treat people with grace, it will do something for them. One of the other things that this woman might say is that Jesus challenged her to a life without sin. People are sinners, aren't they? Good people. Bad people. Good people hide their sin. We have sins of the heart. Bad people, well, they don't know enough to hide it. Their sin is out and out, you know. For this woman, so, probably her partner didn't care either. They didn't really want to be public spectacles. They sure didn't want to be stoned, but, you know, no big deal. People live like that. So what we have to do as Christians, and that's, that's the point of this story, is Jesus teaching us how to be Jesus dealing with sinners. I remember when I was a kid, one of those preacher things stuck in my head. The preacher said, and at the time we had a, a short guy from South Carolina, had a deep drawl and a long flowing white hair. And he said in one sermon, all sin is the same. And to my little pudgy body, that sunk in. All sin is the same. And here I am, 55 years later, thinking that old preacher understood all sin is the same. And the reason that was so important for me to understand was, even though I might have my life more together than somebody else, there's still stuff within me that isn't fit for public consumption. 
Just like you. You don't want everything to be known about you, do you? We all have secrets. We all have a past. We all have baggage. We're all sinners separated from God by our sin, save for Jesus. And so, when Jesus dealt with a sinful woman whose sin was very public, no lecture. Didn't shake his finger at her or anything. Didn't condemn her. Didn't shame her. Go and sin no more. That day he saved her life, literally. Because like I said, the crowd would have been happy to kill her. Just one more tramp. And that's the way they would have talked. But Jesus' grace saved her life. And so she would say, Jesus gave me another chance. And, and now he wants me to be without sin. So Jesus was able to get in some kind of teaching of righteousness without really giving a sermon. Just an offhanded comment. Go and sin no more. It's interesting, just because I'm a preacher, people will come up and talk to me. My daughters used to make fun of me because no matter where we went, I'd end up having some kind of a mini prayer meeting because if you stand around long enough and you listen to people talk, they will start telling you stuff. And I hear stuff about people that I don't want to hear. And I've learned, and part of this is my training as a pastor, and part of this is my training as a therapist, if I don't overreact and, and act like someone's horrible and gasp when they say something, they'll continue to talk and, and tell me their whole story. You see, people know they're sinners. They know they're guilty. I don't have to condemn them. I have never had an argument about whether or not someone is a sinner or not. When I finally get to that conversation where you know that you're separated from God by your sin, they'll go, yeah. I have never had anyone argue with me about that. No one. Christian or not. Everybody knows. Jesus challenges us to a, a better kind of life, doesn't he? Look at verse 11 again. Still chapter 8. And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. I think he was trying to say, Listen, there's a better way of living than what you're doing. The interesting thing here is that Jesus didn't preach to her there. You know, I, the preacher in me says, well, why didn't he give her the, the four spiritual laws? He should have been carrying a tract with her, with him or something like that. You, you've got you've to give him the whole stuff all the time. But Jesus didn't, did he? Instead, he was gracious. He said, go and sin no more. So there is that understanding of a spiritual teaching. And then he just dropped it and let her go. Maybe Jesus was teaching us that not every situation is one of those situations where you have to do the whole plan of salvation. Now, they need to hear it, yes. But maybe if the crowd is around or the situation isn't right or the emotions are too raw, maybe you should save it for another day. And that doesn't mean never do it. That means wait. Be gracious and kind. Love. Give another chance. Say, I'll pray for you. Say, there's a better way of life, you know. And just be nice about it. You know, you can be snarky. It's easy to be snarky. Snarky comes easy to a Baptist. We know that. What we have to do 
is work at not being snarky and insulting and kind of snooty about it. I rail against Facebookers because Facebookers are by definition snarky. I, it just drives me nuts. People with whom I agree say things so disagreeably that I can't agree with them. Very seldom do Christians write something on screen that is worthy of an amen. Oh, they'll say some kind of scripture passage. They'll say something nasty about sinners. And I don't want to be a part of that. They'll say sometimes the right thing, but their attitude is so off. Jesus is the one who would be gracious. I've responded to Facebook by just not posting because I'm afraid that I'll say something stupid and snarky because it would be so easy. I used to type things out but never hit return. I'm afraid now, so I just never type it out because I might hit return in a bad moment. So, on screen is this call that Jesus gave to the woman. A move towards faith. Go and sin no more. Try to understand why I've let you live that day. I hope that Jesus tracked her down and talked to her later. I, I think he probably did. His followers probably did. She made quite a splash, you know. But we don't know that. For us, though, what we have to do is try to encourage people to make a move towards faith. You know, there is a better way. There is a God who loves you. Could we pray together? Would you come and sit with me in church, maybe? You know, there is a way to be open to people, open to sinners, and be gracious about it. It's not always easy. It'll be inconvenient, probably. It might mess up your plans for a meal. I've told you about my daughter working with some Afghani families. And so they are now, they're not legal sponsors, because that's another thing, but they are sponsoring a family from Afghanistan. Good people, seven kids. He's an electrical engineer. Can't work here in the States because his license didn't make the trip, etc. They haven't talked about Jesus yet. Well, they don't, there's that language thing. They're committed Muslim. My daughter is committed Christian. They do pray before a meal in the name of Jesus. And they're hoping that eventually they will earn the right and the opportunity to talk about Jesus. If they just blurted out stuff about Jesus, the family would be done. Instead, they're nurturing friendships. My daughter says, well, you know, hopefully someday I'll get to talk to her about Jesus, referring to the wife, the mama. But if, if they're not open, that's okay. They're still our friends and we love them. I thought, wow, that's a Christian thing. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus offered this woman caught in adultery a relationship and friendship and another way of life. Whether or not she wanted it is another thing. It wasn't determined by her. It was determined by him. So when we talk about faith, we need to encourage people to move in a way towards God, to respond to them, and a way to move away from sin. It's okay to talk about sin. It's alright all for you to express your convictions. Be gracious about it. Say that there's a better way. I had a, this conversation with a, a woman two weeks ago. First one that I can recall in a long time was she wanted to talk about abortion because of the recent stuff in the news. 
and she just pulled me off to the side, and she was really nice, and she said, well, wh where do you stand on all this? And, and I'm a Christian, and she's not, and, and so on and so forth, and she was very much pro-choice, pro-abortion, and all those kinds of things. And she goes, well, why are you guys so against it? What's the whole thing about a baby? And I said, you know, really simply, because I know, you know, there's people there and all that business. Uh, I said, you know, this is one of the main things for me. The Bible teaches us that the strong people need to take care of the defenseless people. She said, wow, I never heard of that before. And she wasn't being smart. And we had a pretty good conversation. I don't know if I'll ever get to talk to her again about that. That was a, a one-time shot probably. And I, you know, tried to get in the gospel as easily as I could. But again, there was a lot of traffic. Interesting thing, if you want to have an interesting situation, try to talk to someone about abortion or something like that in a public setting and watch how other people react. It was really funny because we were standing here and here's the traffic of people walking by and moms would, they'd pick up what we were talking about, they'd go. And one of them stopped like this. In mid-step, she wanted to hear the conversation. She was smart enough to know she was going to get caught, so she just walked on. People want to know. People want to hear Christians being gracious and kind. And I worked real hard that day to be gracious and kind. The snark monster was there, let me tell you. She said some things that pushed all my buttons. But I told myself, I will be gracious here. And that day I was. Wish I could say it was always that successful, but not. But what we have to do is urge people away from sin. Not that the woman was a sinner, but she needed to hear a Christian perspective characterized by grace. Rather than law. Laws are easy. Laws are black and white. Laws tell us what to do. Love is harder. Because love means you got to cut people slack. Love means treating people like your family, meaning even after there's bad blood, you welcome them into your home and you have a meal with them. The woman said, this is what Jesus did with me. He gave me another chance. And he showed me that there was a better way of life. Pretty good conversation for Jesus. Go and sin no more. On screen is a passage of scripture. If we can get this up, read this with me. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Next screen, please. If we can get there. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus understood. He would never encounter someone who was not a sinner. They're all sinners. Jesus wasn't. If anybody had a reason to feel superior, it was him. And yet he was just down to earth and gracious and loving. Which is why people loved him. Not because he was smart. But because he loved them first. And they responded to that. Let me challenge you. To be like Jesus, to try to love people even in their sin. And when you catch them in their sin, be gracious and kind. You don't need to judge them really. There will be a time for that. Just be gracious and kind and encourage them that there is a different kind of life. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. 
say yes to the way Jesus wants you to live and love others. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. <laughs>